Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Martin. <laughs> so much enthusiasm. <laughs> we, uh, we, we met at various conferences, but every time that we've met, it was like under work circumstances. So okay. you were doing kind of like workshops and I was running around just like with a camera doing photos. But uh, I'm very excited because today we're going to get to talk into more details about the topics that you cover in your workshops and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis with all these businesses. Amazing. My favorite topics. Yes. I hope so. Yes, because I'm this. With my work. <laughs> yes, I know. That's why. That's why I'm having you here. Uh, I'm. I've recently read an article of yours on LinkedIn, which is about love and leadership, um, creative courage, and resilient cultures. And um, thank you for reading it. Uh, no, it's actually a really great article. I'll link it in the show notes for people listening and for people watching. Um, but you talk about something that I think is very important, which is uh, being honest and transparent in your relationships. Uh, which is which is uh, something that I think uh, people have a hard time with because we've grown up with having this desire to fit in and to wear a social mask. And it's very hard to be 100% yourself. So what made you realize that you needed to adopt this business approach? And uh, how did you make that transition? Oh, my God. Great question. <laughs> great question. So... I've been thinking about my identity and who I am. Mm -hmm. Is my sound okay? My yeah. volume okay? Your volume is fine. Okay. I've been thinking about um, who I am as an individual for a really long time. So I grew up in the subarctic of Quebec um, in a really small mining town that was flanked by two First Nations communities. And I thought a lot at that point without really realizing I was thinking about it, about culture and about identity and about who I was as an individual because oftentimes I was a little, you know, the little white girl in a group of kids that were not white. So the, the notion of individuality and differences came up a lot when I was younger. And when we left Shefferville, That was a small town where I grew up. Um, we moved to Ottawa for a year. My mother was studying. Actually, she does a lot of research and identity. So she also is thinking about who you are and your individuality, your identity, mm -hmm. how your identity forms. And, um, and then we moved to Quebec City. And during high school, both my parents worked at the high school where I studied. My father was my principal. And wow. Yeah, not fun. <laughs> not fun. Sorry to like, interrupt you. I was just like very curious how how would that experience be? <laughs> you know, the first couple of years it was incredibly embarrassing. Um <laughs> it was incredibly embarrassing. Uh but eventually, you know, like grade nine, ten, like I got rides to work every or I got rides to school every day. I got lunch money. Mm. I was quite a little shit in high school and my parents Weren't we, weren't we all? <laughs> I was like, I really like to test people. Okay. I really like to you'll, push you'll buttons. Pu and, push their boundaries. Oh, yeah. Oh. And uh, and people wouldn't do anything because they'd be like, well, your daddy's the principal. So mm -hmm. eventually, like, it kind of became, I just became comfortable with the fact that my dad was my principal. But at the end of high school, I really needed to escape and find who I was. And so I left my parents um, at 17 to study fine arts in Montreal. And this was a really key moment for me in my identity development moment. And I guess it is at every for everyone at that age, you know, you're, you're, you're like... Figuring out what you're you want to do. What you, yeah, you're figuring out what you want to do. You're, you're like leaving the comfort uh, of the home. Um, but I'm mentioning it because... At 17 was a key moment in my identity development. And I recently realized that I'm on this like identity search, this identity development journey that happens in cycles of seven years. So when I was 10 mm -hmm. in Shefferville was the beginning of this search mm -hmm. where I was really an outsider and I had a, a bad year of bullying. And then seven years after that, when I was 17 and I left my parents home to find who I was. Mm. Then when I was 24, I uh, graduated from the John Wilson School of Business in marketing. And I realized that marketing wasn't my path. And I 
connected to this nickname that had been given to me at uh, a job I was working. This guy I was working with, this is a really long meandering answer to your question, but it all connects to how, mm-hmm. to the work that I do now and to why I want people and I want to support people and being honest about who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at 24, I was working at a property management firm and, uh, one of my colleagues, you know, I was one day I was kind of like talking about the fact that I didn't fit in as a marketing student. I was too soft, too emotional, too artistic. And he was like, Oh my God, Aaron, you're, you're so soft. You're, you're, you're too soft for business. They're going to eat you alive. Mm-hmm. You're like a Berenstein bear and Berenstein bears are this cartoon. Yeah. For- from like whenever it was 80s or 90s um that teach you how to care and they teach you morals and they teach you how to be a good community member and um he thought i was too soft and too cuddly for business and he started started calling me aaron berenstein and aaron berenstein at the office became eb and eb became ebs and then everyone at the office started calling me ebs and mm-hmm. then my friends started calling me Ebes. And then I started calling myself Ebes. So in 2000, when I was 24, um, I think at, when I was 24, 2011, um, this was the year that I claimed Ebes, that I became Ebes. Okay. And Ebes Berenstein is an alter ego of mine, part of my identity, this persona that encapsulates all of these personality traits that didn't necessarily fit into the environments that I was in as a business student, Mm -hmm. but that I knew were, were inherent to who I am as an individual. So lover of individuality, rebel with the cause, um, an artist, sensitive, Mm -hmm. very emotional. I'm an idealist. Um, I'm a woman, all of these things, didn't really fit into my idea of what a business person looked like. And it didn't really fit into the persona that was sold to me at school. And when I was 24, the reason this is a big moment for me in my identity development is because this was the year that I decided that I didn't really care and that that was the path that I needed to walk. I needed to be me. I needed to lean into Ebes because that's the only thing that I have that's mine completely. No mm-hmm. one else is Ebes. I am Ebes. Um, that year was the year that I graduated from from marketing. I jumped into an intensive design program that lasted a year, and um, that's crazy. We sorry to interrupt, but like um, I have the same background. I actually went to John Molson for marketing, and I did one and a half year in graphic design. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That is funny. <laughs> Didn't notice that, so I was like, <laughs> part part business, part artist. Yeah, and I had the same struggle as you, and meaning that you know, I I, I grew up as an artist at heart, but I was always um, I was always like reluctant to, because every time you talk about art, you also talk about the marketing side of it, right? Which is you know, if you want to be known as an artist, you kind of need to be, like, people need to see your work. They need to know, like, where you are. And it was always a challenge for me to just be like, I'll just be in my basement and and draw all day and nobody knows about it. Or I can kind of mesh with the marketing side of it and learn a little bit about that so I can actually market my work as well. And uh, that's what kind of pushed me into marketing as well, just because, you know, with the emergence of social media and all that stuff, I just found it way more accessible than it used to be. You know, it's not just like banner ads. Now you can actually create a profile on, mm-hmm. on Instagram, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn to, to get people to know. I you. appreciate that you looked at it as a smart choice for yourself to lean into your business side, because I think a lot of artists will, they'll, they'll try to lean into their, their harder sort of business side because they feel they have to because mm-hmm. it's what's expected of them from society from parents um they're I, I, like artists are often looked down on and i think we're seeing a shift right now towards some of the more creative skills being valued mm-hmm. more um and some of the sensitivity that artists have 
being valued more in in business places mm-hmm. and being valued actually in really high regard but when i when i was studying in marketing i mean not that i was ashamed of being an artist but like I don't know. It wasn't a part of my, it wasn't a part of who I was that I felt was a viable option for my future. And I actually went to, you know, at Concordia, they have this like free medical center, like the student center. So I was like, I think I'm going to try therapy. And I went to one, I'm a big fan of therapy, but I went to one session with this therapist, this woman who like within 10 minutes had figured out, figured out who I was, quote unquote. (laughs) And uh, she was like, why do you repress your artistic side? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't like the way you just categorize me. So I'm going to go. I think, I think we're done here. But now thinking back on it, um, I definitely pushed against it because I didn't feel like there was a place for the artistic side to sit in the business world. And I really wanted to flank both sides of, of that, mm-hmm. those interests, you know, like I, when I think now about how, art and business overlaps for me it's about expression and communication authentic expression authentic communication and um the artistry behind showcasing who you are Mm -hmm. i think that's a that's a big part of the work that i do with companies um back to the original question Mm -hmm. of like this seek for honesty Uh, or this seeking for honesty for myself and this support of other people being honest. Um, Essentially from the age of like 10 to to 24, this was when the foundation was laid for me where I was figuring out that I was kind of obsessed with my identity and on this path of seeking individuality and seeking space for myself. I wanted to be acknowledged as an individual i wanted my voice to matter mm-hmm. as we all do you know um and that launched essentially my freelance career because i have been freelancing now for about eight years over eight years now and um everything about my everything about my journey from the age of 10 like regardless of whether it was something that i was studying or not impacted the way that I approached my business relationships and it impacted the work that I was doing with the companies that I was working with. So when I first started freelancing after mark after studying marketing and then one year graphic design, I started freelancing as a graphic designer, very quickly became freelancing as a creative director because a lot of the people that I was dealing with, a lot of companies I was supporting were young. They didn't have a sense of creative direction. Mm-hmm. They'd come to me for like a logo but they didn't have any visual inspiration they needed a creative direction yeah and on top of that they needed communication strategy because they would they would ask me questions like you know they would say we need a logo we need a website and i'd say great who are we trying to connect with why are we trying to connect with them what are we trying to do here like tell me something about yourself tell me something that inspires you and i would i would be met with a lot of really blank stares they were just like why does this matter right yeah, we want like <laughs> we just want a logo. We just want a logo. This is our competition. That's what people look like. So we need to look something like that. And um, everyone brought Apple and Google and Uber as inspiration to me. Like, can make us a logo like Google. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So it was clear that um, they needed more from me than just the graphic design, which is why my role kind of evolved very quickly from like graphic design, creative direction. And then there was some marketing strategy in there, communication strategy. And while I was dealing with these clients who had a really hard time expressing who they were, I was exploring the identity of Ebes and going really deep into this exploration of who I was and what Ebes meant and what the, who the persona was of Ebes. Mm-hmm. And I was writing a lot about identity. I was writing about Ebes. I was writing, I was drawing Ebes. I was dressing up as Ebes. Like Ebes was just me, but I was like, there was this persona that I was tapping into. And um, so my clients were obsessed with their product. I was obsessed with myself. Mm-hmm. And I was assisting a professor at John Wilson. Her name is Michelle Paulin. She was really amazing. And I worked with her for three years and her method to marketing is completely customer centric. So I was working with someone who was completely obsessed with the person on the other side of the conversation, the customer, the audience. 
And this like trifecta of information, you know, obsessed with self, obsessed with product, obsessed with customer kind of came together for me in 2013. And I realized that you, you can't have a conversation with someone and that's what marketing and business is like building relationships. You can't build a relationship with someone if number one, you don't know who they are and what their needs and wants and pains and story is. Um, but you also need to know what you bring to that conversation. You need to know what you bring to the table. There needs to be a dialogue there. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand your customer, but you need to tap inwards and you need to understand your own identity. You need to understand what you care about. And I started thinking about the process that I had used to tap into my identity as Eves because Eves brought me so much creativity, so much confidence, so much focus, so much freedom. Like when I decided officially to freelance, I saw the name Eves in the sky and I was like, oh my God, that's the answer. I need to pursue this identity. And I like jumped in with no plan and with no money. And I was just like, you know, Eves is gonna, Eves is gonna drive me there. And, um, these companies needed help the, the clients of mine, they needed help connecting with their own identities because their, their inspiration for how they were supposed to present themselves, their inspiration for the costume that they were supposed to wear as a company was everyone around them. The competition, the competition, the industry standards, the market, what they believed people wanted from them. Some of them, their inspiration was, well, my friends are saying this and my parents are expecting this. And so few of them had this intrinsic locus of control. You know, they, so many of them were looking externally for answers. And uh, I thought a lot at that time about why we look externally, why we look externally for answers. And I not internally. And not internally. I think it's, it's natural as we grow up because we're getting guidance from people who are our guides, you know, our parents and our family. And at one point we realize that we need to walk our own path and we need to make choices for ourselves. It, companies weren't looking at their journeys in that way. And so mm -hmm. what ended up happening for them with the way that they were communicating and expressing themselves was that like all the companies look exactly the same. You know, yeah. all of them had the exact same logos. All the websites were the same. All the messaging was the same. It was all bland. No one was standing out. And they were all getting in line behind each other. And I felt like I'd found this like nugget of gold, which was like individuality and identity and being hyper, hyper honest about who you are. Because that's the only thing you can own. It's the only thing that you... People cannot replicate, basically. No one can replicate it. No one can replicate it. Like, And I, when, I, I, when all of these thoughts were kind of coming to me in 2013, I started developing an identity exploration process for my clients so I could get to know them better, so I could do better creative direction, so I could do better design for them. Mm -hmm. And um, the results were amazing. You know, I'd ask them questions that were really simple, but just like, why do you care? Why do you care? Tell me about what you used to love doing as a child. You know, what yeah. impact do you want to have on the world? What do you stand for? What would you write about? And you could see the connections happening around the table between partners with the, with their teams. There were small teams, but you could see the inspiration. You could see the creativity unlocking. Like people were like, I didn't know you said it like that. I didn't know you use that language. And um, meanwhile, you know, I started talking about brand at that point and people started asking me about like, how do you build a personal brand? Mm -hmm. And this was what? 20, 2013. 2013. Oh. And I did my first talk and I actually presented as Ebes Berenstein, just me, but like it was me, but I used the name Ebes. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was just like, you don't, you don't build a brand because you don't own a brand. Your brand is this perception that people have of you, which yeah. means that they own it. And it also means that it's completely fluid. Like it will change every single time someone comes in contact with you. So the more you try to control how they feel about you, the less you're going to control it and the more negative it's going to be. So what you can control is your connection to yourself, how mm -hmm. deeply you reflect, how much you get to know yourself and how honest you are about the way that you present yourself 
how vocal you are about your opinions and about your stance and how present you are in situations and what events you choose to attend and the people that you choose to align yourself with. The more you make choices for you, the stronger your personal brand will be because the more honest and authentic it will be. And when you, I mean, when you enter a conversation, honestly, when you present yourself honestly as a company or as an individual, like it, it reduces the workload. You know, you have to work so much less hard to convince people to like you because they'll decide, okay, I either love this person or they're not for me. And then at least, you know, and you can move on, you work less hard on your marketing, your communications, you work less hard at, at convincing other people to work with you. Yeah. When you hire someone, you work less hard telling them about who you are and what you do because you just get to the point more quickly and yeah. they can get to the point more quickly and you can figure out whether there's a relationship there that you can build. And I really started feeling that like the importance of bringing your own identity and your individuality to conversations. I really started feeling that in 2013 and then I started feeling as I, as I did the identity explorations with clients I started feeling the impact that it has not just on the individual I'm speaking to and me, someone who's trying to help them to express themselves and to communicate mm-hmm. through their creative direction, but it impacts the way that they engage with their entire community, their ecosystem, their network. And it inspires people within their network to bring more of their individuality to the conversation and more of their honest selves to the conversation. Um, yeah, and that was that 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 was the beginning of me really recognizing like the more honest you are, and the more you tap in to your identity for answers, the more you look inward, um, the more fulfilled you'll be, the stronger the relationships around you will be, the more inspired people will be by you. And when I so in twenty fifteen, like I'm really giving you a whole rundown right now it's great okay good i I like origin stories okay um so 2013 i started doing the identity explorations and i kind of hid them as part of my creative direction process not that i hid them but i was just like okay clients we're going to be doing this first it's going to take an extra week uh you're not going to pay any more for it and then we're going to jump into your logo and your website and whatever else and um i learned a lot in those moments um i mean I learned about the connection that happens in front of me when people are talking honestly, which is amazing. I learned about the impact that has on the rest of the team to see founders being honest about why they do what they do. Um, but I also learned how difficult it is as an, as an entrepreneur, as a freelancer for myself to wear hats that are, you know, the strategy hat, the creative direction hat, the graphic design hat, the communications hat yeah it was too much for me and it became way way too much um to wear all of those hats and i knew in 2015 that i really needed to lean into strategy and i really needed to lean into identity development like wholly uh so in 2015 i phased out my final design clients and i launched the tappan team and i was like all right this is going to be a brand coaching company Mm -hmm. i'm going to help companies to build their brands in my mind, I always knew that was about team dynamics. Um, team first. You need to look inward first and have strong communication dynamics internally before you can do great work externally. But uh, it very quickly became, you know, it very quickly went from me talking about brand coaching to talking about culture and to talking about culture strategy and culture development. And I realized that when I talked about culture, like it sparked something for people because it feels more honest and true and it feels like it's about community building and a shared sense of meaning and motivation. Whereas when you talk about brand, it feels like something that's very external and people were misinterpreting what I do when I talked about brand. And and to your point, like brand is not something that you can control in of itself. No. Because like you can think of your brand as being something, but the perception of your brand from someone that's outside the organization can be completely different. Absolutely. As, and the same thing with culture, you know, you can't fully control culture either. You can nurture it. You mm-hmm. can commit to it as you can nurture brand and commit to brand. But 
the like you know it's funny when companies are like we need to build a culture like this <laughs> like this but i'm like well you already have a culture it's just that you're not working on it yeah and you already have a brand and if you're not working on it the likelihood is that it might be a little bit toxic or it might not represent you as honestly as possible so brand and culture exist regardless and when i started thinking more deeply about what i was bringing to people what i sell is brand and culture strategy what i actually bring is connection and an unlocking of creative courage for companies mm -hmm. because and this is what i've been talking about more recently and what led to the article on self-love and leadership and resilient cultures um throughout the process of brand and culture development that i use which is called creative courage it's what i named the methodology in 2017 um I start with decision makers and I start with leadership and I help them get to a point of more self-awareness. Why are you here? Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Why did you build this team around you? And then I help them through a culture assessment to look honestly at where their team is at mm -hmm. and to recognize the situation that they're in right now. And that moment of, wow, this is me. This is what I've built. This is what the context around me is always a really, really big eye-opening moment for leaders where they need to face self-awareness and hopefully what I get them to, what I encourage them towards is not only self-acceptance, but a little bit of self-love, some compassion, some recognition that they don't have all the answers, but in fact, their team is filled with a lot of the answers that they have opinions and beliefs as a leader as a person they have opinions and beliefs that are amazing and that they should they should celebrate those things and what i've realized on companies is when leaders lean into their individuality and love themselves not an ego love but when they appreciate themselves and love themselves the differences that make them unique their yeah. opinions and their stance and their beliefs and the things that they're great at and the things they're not so great at what they do is they create space for the other members of their team to bring to feel comfortable bringing their own right? exactly when you approach a conversation as an individual as an honest individual then you're more likely to be met by an honest individual yeah and what ends up happening in a company where leaders start with that self-love is more people feel ready to speak up at the table Mm -hmm. and to speak up in conversations and to be honest and to bring more of their personal experience to meetings and to to ideation sessions and this is when true communication can happen this is when collaboration can happen this is when creativity can happen and this is when the team can build solutions that are truly innovative mm -hmm. because their solutions are impacted by multiple perspectives and uh so that like self-love, bringing your individual self to the conversation, bringing your identity to the conversation, that takes courage from leaders. But when, when leaders bring courage or when leaders face these, these difficult, emotional and challenging moments that they're all facing as companies, when they face them with courage and their authentic selves, then creativity happens for their team. So that's where the whole notion of creative courage kind of came from and where my thought process is at as far as self-love and what birthed that that article how, how it stemmed yeah it just like it just a lot honestly a lot of dots connected because and i'm telling you this whole long story of like all the years the identity cycles and stuff because like I just, uh, I spoke about self-love and leadership in November and I shared the video of the talk with my best friend and she was like, I just cried the whole way through. It's just so amazing that you tied all of your points together. Like this is years for me. This is years of thinking about this stuff, mm -hmm. going back to when I was 10, you know, and yeah. it all kind of makes a lot of sense for me what I'm doing right now. That makes a lot of sense, like you talking about it. Like I, I thank you. I actually, like I actually get where you're coming from, and even like I've read the article, it makes a lot of sense on its own. But now understanding where it comes from, it really ties everything together. So I love. Uh, there was something in your article that you said that I really find interesting, which was being honest 
about myself is a sign of respect. And it's not only respect for me, but it's respect for you. And I think that, especially now in, nowadays in society, it's very, and it, I think it's always been that way. Like people seek acceptance from others. So they'll try to kind of put on this persona, whether it's in business or in any kind of relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the problem with that is you, for one, you make it harder for yourself to find the right people because you never know if the person actually likes you for you or they just like you for the mask that you put on. Right. And it it it, it doesn't allow you to have the space in your life to meet the right people. I don't think we should necessarily vibe with any everyone. No. And that's totally fine, you know. Where does the idea come from that everybody needs to love us? You know, like and that's kind of a rhetorical question. Um, and I think a lot of us as young entrepreneurs actually, we enter it wanting everybody to love us and wanting everybody to, you know, want our services and want us around. So we go into these early conversations, not dishonest. Our intention is not to be dishonest, but we want to please. Yeah. And that it put, it sets you up as, it sets you up as a freelancer, as an entrepreneur to do work that you don't love to do with people that you don't fully want to support mm-hmm. and you put in the hours and you feel frustrated. And every time the person calls your gut like seizes up and ultimately what you're doing is you're setting expectations when you're not honest about who you are, what you can provide, what you want to provide, what you want to do, mm-hmm. what your pains are. You set expectations for people around you that are not realistic. You can't uphold them and they can't depend on them. And it's just like, it's so much more work. That's what I was saying before. It's like, it's just so much more work and it's so much friction, you know, and it's friction with yourself. And ultimately it makes you feel shitty about yourself that you feel like you need to like alter the way you're presenting yourself so that someone will buy what you're selling. Yeah. And from personal experience, like I can definitely relate. Like when I started my agency two and a half years ago, um, and obviously like noob mistake, uh, when you just we all start need to make them yes we, we we all need to make the mistakes but you know it was just about oh this client wants this even though it's not in my field of expertise i'll try to do it or this client maybe uh i don't like the way they're working you know like sometimes especially if you're working in marketing and communications like you do need the communication to be on point and some clients let's say like you send them something it takes them two weeks to get back to you not maybe the best workflow you'll ever get so no maybe you'll just have to be like yeah this is not how we work and we'll just part ways and it's nothing personal against you but i can't work that way and it's totally fine to do that yeah i found it that i found that the more i practice like in those moments of discomfort because i think it's normal that you need to negotiate your boundaries with people they might go in with expectations that are unrealistic it's not because you weren't honest about who you were it's just because they have expectations of what they're going to get from someone who's like in your role yeah okay so i want us to talk a little bit about um you know we we talk about being authentic and being who you truly are and whatnot Uh, i was wondering if you had any kind of exercise activity that you do to get to get in touch with yourself again because i feel like sometimes even though we're very authentic with your with ourselves and we know who we are sometimes dealing with the outside world can kind of make us veer off from that yeah how, how do you what kinds of activities do you do to get back to your core mm-hmm. there's a three-step process and the first one and sometimes it's a long one and and people rush over it it's the reflective discovery process if you're unsure about a decision that you need to be making or you're unsure about how you're presenting yourself or you want to be checking back in about where you're at in life you need to go into a discovery process about yourself Mm -hmm. and you need to dive into it and you need to commit yourself to it it's a reflective reflective process and you need to reflect however it is that you reflect some people reflect out loud some people reflect in writing. I reflect in writing. Some people reflect by running and not thinking. Mm-hmm. You need to spend time on you to, yeah. to connect with your core. And it's not like this active pursuit of connecting with core or like connecting with who I really am. It's about just reflecting on where you're at, 
letting your thoughts take you where they do, writing about whatever it is that's coming up, spending mm. time on it. And I think in becoming more in touch with yourself, in practicing silence and meditation and and looking at yourself deeply in the mirror and asking yourself, like, how are you? Where are you at right now? You start to form an internal compass that's going to give you signs. And then you're going to feel it when you're in a place or with a person or saying things that are not right for you. Hmm. Like they're like their their name will pop up on caller ID and you'll get a yeah a gut reaction. And um, people, sorry to interrupt. No, no, like go people, ahead. Um, people often underestimate that. I feel we're taught to underestimate it. Actually, I think we're encouraged to ignore it. And but to, that gut feeling is like it's been there for thousands of years. It's our everything. That's why that's why we have it. <laughs> it's our everything. Honestly, the more you listen to it, the, the better off you are. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but at least you're going to know that you made the decisions that were right for you. Do you do any form of meditation? I haven't in a while, but I used to a lot more. And when things get really intense, I do go to meditation. My meditation right now is physical activity and mm. um, running, running. I used to run like now the weather's getting nicer, so I need to get it back out there. But last summer, fall, I was just like. It was a daily exercise on the canal. It was amazing. Um, running or any sort of movement. That kind of gets you out of your head. Yeah. Right? Even walking. Honestly, even walking is a good meditative practice. And I journal almost every night. And I just, I let it out. And I also have tons of notes. Like I just, when it comes to me when I'm in the metro and I'm just kind of like, I like being reflective when I'm surrounded by this like haze of movement or or sound or people um i'll take notes about what's coming up and i kind of like what ends up becoming poetry I'll, i'll write like little poems it sounds cheesy but that's just in dropping your thoughts down that's what they are mm-hmm. um for me that practice like it slows down time it allows me to connect with myself and the more i do it the more honest i can be with the people around me because so when your internal compass sort of starts to form through that practice of just like checking in with yourself, you feel it when things are uncomfortable or you feel it when you're comfortable mm-hmm. and you feel it when you're excited about things, you feel it buzzing in your body when you're talking about something that you love. And that's where you're reaching the decisiveness phase of this whole thing. So it's discovery, decisiveness. When you're at the decisiveness phase of becoming more authentic and, and you know, being more honest about who you are, what you need to do is start making choices that reflect the discovery that you've made about yourself. And you will continuously evolve as an individual. Like being an authentic person doesn't mean like figuring out who you are now and that's who you are for the rest of your life. You're going to evolve. And sometimes evolution is going to happen really, really quickly. So you're this like regular discovery process with yourself allows you to get to a point where you can be decisive about where you are now. So what am I saying that no longer serves me? Who am I hanging out with that no longer serves me? Who do I want to be around more? What do I want to be doing more of? Yeah. What do I need to be saying more of? Because there's something unsaid. You know, what am I keeping to myself and I really need to be vocal about? What work am I doing that doesn't serve me? And that's where you need to start making choices. And the choices the decisiveness moment that leads you into connections, which is the third part for me of this quest for authenticity, which is you need to tell people and show people who you are and in whatever way feels comfortable for you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's being vocal about this belief that you've uncovered or this thing you've gone through on your Insta story. And for other people, it's going to be significantly more private than that. But I think the the act of saying things out loud and expressing things out loud and going to specific face-to-face moments and events and these are like these are declarations about who you are and what life you want for yourself and they're it's declarations a, that are authentic and it's a commitment too. Yes. Cuz I feel like a lot of times people don't voice it out so it's just like it's more like this thought it'd be nice to do this, you know, and and it's the same with 
with declaring who you are and understanding yourself as a person, but I think it's the same with your goals as well. Uh, completely. You, completely. You know, it's because so many people talk about, uh, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that. But until you actually put it out in, on paper or talk about it with someone and be like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. You don't have any sort of accountability on it. It's just a thought that just popped into your head. And <laughs> yeah, there was no there, there was no more investment than that. And it, it's we know we all know it's very, very easy to keep our true feelings and our true thoughts and that like little noise in our stomach, like that feeling in our stomach. It's very easy to keep that to ourselves because it's very scary to yeah. be honest about who you are. And that's why for me, it's important that you make these declarations and these commitments and you say things out loud and you make statements about who you are. Sometimes the statements are vocal and sometimes they're not, but it's important that you declare who you are as an individual and you take space. Yep. Um, something that for me has helped me a lot find my passion or whatever kind of label you want to put on it is I always assess when I wake up or when I go to bed, how do I feel? Mm. So like when I, when I first started my business and I work with people that I didn't particularly vibe with, like I'd wake up in the morning and I just feel like super tired, not, not really wanting to do great work or whatnot. Yeah, interesting. Whereas now, when I wake up, I'm just like, man, I'm pumped. Like, let's do this. It's amazing. And I, I, I don't need to put like 10 alarms, you know what I mean? And it's the same thing when I go to bed. Do I feel at peace or do I feel like I'm going to die? Right. Right, right. I mean, I totally hear you. And the thing is, there's going to be moments that are going to be uncomfortable as you're building your business. <coughs> You're going to have to work with people you don't always love. You're going to have to work on projects you don't always love. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the learning experience. It doesn't mean that you're not being authentic. But if you are recognizing the discomfort, I think that's already an enormous step. Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy to just sleep on those feelings, to ignore them. You know? Or to take it as normal. Yes. Like some people, some people actually associate with feeling shitty. Yeah. Like... Um, and, and that's why like a lot of toxic relationships keep, you know, don't, don't really dissolve is because they've identified to that. Mm. It's like, that's how my relationship is. And that's how it should be. Whereas mm. like, it's, it, it shouldn't be like that normally. Well, it can be what you want it to be. And I think that we, um, don't always think about what it is that we personally want. We think yep. about what other people want or what we're supposed to do, what it should look like, what we should do. Those are not stories that serve us, you know? Definitely not. But you you have to have that moment of like, of revelation about the fact that you're, you want to do things that are right for you. And it takes a long, sometimes it takes an entire <laughs> so, lifetime yeah. to get to the point where you can be like, I don't want to be friends with you. Yeah, it's it's so hard. It's a it's a very hard topic to touch on because we all invest our time in it, and and sometimes like just admitting that you're wrong um, can be very hard because you've invested so much of your time in it. I we need to be compassionate with ourselves because sometimes you come to a moment of realization about a situation that you're in, a person that you're working with, and you're like, wow, that how did I not see that? Mm -hmm. And we need to be kind with ourselves because we can only make decisions right now based on the information that we have right now. And the person in the past that made the decisions that they made, like signing the contract that now we need to deal with, they had the information that they had, you know, so we need to be kind. Yeah. Like in, in hindsight, it always makes sense, right? Of like course. 2020. Uh, oh yeah. I shouldn't have done that, but you didn't know at the time. Right. Um, this, cause like, I love your kind of energy and the way you embrace that hippie side of you. Yay. So I, I had like a question crafted just for you. Like, what is it that you believe that you, uh, you believe is true, but you can't prove? Um, well, now I'm thinking a lot about work and like metrics it can it can be something just in life you know i know it doesn't have to be it's such work. a big question what do i believe is true but i cannot prove um 
I'm not going to know this until the end of my life, but that my instinct is my number one asset. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very, my instinct and my intuition, that my intuition is my number one asset. That's what I know is true but can't prove and i have conversations with people that are significantly more like rational logical minded yeah than i am and uh they want to rationalize the choices that i make and i can't always and that's challenging for me in business because a lot of the work with culture and relationship building is a, a it's based on my intuition it's based on my my emotional read of the situation but then decision makers want metrics metrics (laughs) yeah you know how do you measure the impact of a stronger emotional bond yeah like how do you measure the impact of quicker decision making around intuition it's it's very challenging Mm -hmm. to prove but that's where that's kind of where the magic is a hundred percent that's where the magic is and we like yeah it's definitely that's where the magic is for me I mean, even like, what is it? What do I know to be true? And I cannot prove Mm -hmm. my feelings, you know, my emotions. I know my emotions are true and they're mine, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. How do you prove emotions? Like you just feel them. You just feel them. Yeah. But that's very powerful. It's making me cry a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so before you know before i ask the final question i just want to um to t- ask you to tell the audience where they can find you on social media on linkedin uh do, do they find you as ebs or well you can find me on linkedin as aaron willett and i'm very happy to connect on linkedin i don't mind messages at all i don't mind questions at all i like to connect you can find me on insta my personal page which i rarely touch and it's very it's very very personal is ebs berenstein and ebs is e-e-b-s berenstein b-e-r-e-n-s-t-e-i-n so so which is the one that you use well linkedin honestly i'm very active on linkedin and on insta i mean insta is becoming more and more of a platform where i'm connecting personally which i think is nice okay amazing um but LinkedIn is like kind of where it's at for me right now. Is that okay? The, I that mean, that's silly? totally fine. No, it's yeah. it's not silly. I think I think if if you feel like you should focus more on one platform, there's nothing wrong with that. I've been blown away by how positive LinkedIn has been recently because people are so desperate for connection uh, oh, yeah. in business settings. So when you show a little bit of honesty and when you engage on LinkedIn, like, oh yeah, yeah, it's the like responses have been amazing. The, the amount the amount of of automated message that I see on LinkedIn is ludicrous. So when I see when I see like an actual message that was just sent, it's like, oh wow, it's amazing. That person took time to just like send me a message. Yeah. It means like it's it's just it's it's very, very nice to see. And the other reason I like LinkedIn is because there's no facade around why people are there. You're there for business, it's understood. Yeah. I wanna collaborate, I'm looking for collaborators, I'm looking for clients. Yeah. And I want people to find me as a consultant. But because that's understood then we can kind of get past whatever stigma there is around mm-hmm. that and just like have honest conversations. Before I ask the last question, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Aaron, because I think, I think, you know, even though we've only met a few times, you're someone that promotes a message, which I truly believe in, which is being honest about who you are. And you're continuing doing that through your workshops and, and through your work. So Thank you for that. I think the world needs more authenticity and not just like, you know, copycat versions of each other and more thank you. M- more forward forward thinking and not just like because it's very easy to get stuck in the moment and be in this scarce mindset, competitive mindset. When you just open your field of view, you see all these opportunities and all this abundance that there is in the world, which you talk about a lot. Thank you so much for that, Martin. I really appreciate the the appreciation and one point on that like fear moment and whoever's listening who does who is in a fear moment that is part 
of the journey that you be afraid and that you scramble and that you worry about especially as an entrepreneur where rent's going to come from Mm -hmm. it's normal to be in that like holy shit how am i going to make this work mindset my tip for that is to ask for help out loud because people want to support you people want to help you Mm -hmm. and to lean into your network and not to feel like you're a lone wolf people are around you who want to believe in you who want to support who are just waiting to be asked and uh, you don't need to do it alone yeah and if you don't ask the answer is always going to be no exactly (laughs) but we don't ask enough uh, tell me about it like i used to be that person who was just like i'll do it all myself and then when i started asking i'm like oh my god you know the the answers are pretty positive right so that's amazing so my final question before we go because like i feel like we've been talking for almost two hours now um what's your definition of success uh my definition of success is learning from the challenges it's about integration integrating what you've learned and changing your behavior because there's always going to be opportunities for learning i think you're not succeeding if you give up on learning on learning and on moving forward so i'm kind of a growth junkie and success for me is about it's about growth and it's about picking up on the cues and the feedback that i'm getting and the feeling that i have in my stomach and the emotions that i'm feeling recognizing what i've learned and then changing my behavior for me that's like that's a win that's that's success and i think that that sort of mentality is the one that's going to lead to the sort of success that people expect to come with years of experience and dedication, which is like the financial stuff and the praise and the big network and the, you know, the big platform to kind of share your message. Like all of that comes about because of a mindset of growth and learning. So amazing. Thank you, Aaron. Thank Thank you you for being here. (laughs)